I'm Kirk Harnack on This Week in Radio Tech. I'm joined by Chris Carr, Chris Tobin, and Tom Ray. We're talking about noise, RF noise, increasing RF noise that's making radio communications more difficult in some places. We're just about to add to that noise. Twerks is up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Radio Tech, Episode 91, recorded July 13, 2011. Devices in Aggregate. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Omnia Audio and the new Omnia 11. Big market radio engineers are calling it effortlessly loud. Check it out at OmniaAudio.com. It's time for This Week in Radio Tech. Hi there, I'm Kirk Harnack. I'm glad that you've joined us. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of things in, with uh, having to do with radio technology, uh, including uh, RF and transmitters and antennas, uh, studio uh, issues, audio consoles and audio processing, even microphones like this uh, Heil microphone that I'm talking on right now. And th this show wouldn't be anything if, if I was doing it all by myself. I've got some co-hosts here that add a lot to it. In fact, I'm going to depend on them for this show to uh, bring you all the information you're going to hear. First of all, let's go in a reverse uh, chronological order. Uh, let's head out to Muckwanago, Wisconsin, and talk to Chris Tarr. Hello, Chris. Hello there, Kirk. And uh, I'm the uh, Director of Engineering for Intercom's radio stations in Milwaukee and Madison. And uh, I'm also the, uh, the, you know, the engineer here. Let me stand up a little bit there. There you go, an engineer. And uh, I also run the website broadcastengineering.info. Very cool. I appreciate that. And also uh, from another Chris from Manhattan. We call him the best-dressed engineer in radio. It's Chris Tobin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Kirk. Hello, Chris. Uh, yes, I'm the broadcast technologist for CBS Radio here in New York City. We have uh, six stations, 3 a.m., 3 f.m., and uh, we have a good time uh, broadcasting throughout 8 million people. It's fun stuff. And my job is to uh, find technologies we can use to make money and keep the stations afloat. So uh, it's, it's always a f challenge every week. Very cool. And also from New York, but he lives in the Hudson Valley and commutes in every day. It's Tom Ray from the Hudson you Valley. You had to remind Hi, me. <laughs> hey, Kirk, um, Vice President, Corporate Director of Engineering of Buckley Broadcasting and WOR in New York. And by introducing me, you've just taken the show down a notch. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jeez. Hey, and for me, uh, I work for the folks at Telos Omni and Axia, now known as the Telos Alliance. And uh, somehow they saw fit to make me the uh, uh, supreme potentate in charge of sales worldwide. And I guess I, I, they got a bit of a background in engineering, so that uh, works out pretty well. And I seem to know a lot of folks. I do have a little side job. Uh, I am part owner of four radio stations, two in Mississippi and two in American Samoa. So I uh, actually do some engineering, keep things on the air from time to time. I've got a couple of uh, engineers who handle things when I'm not available. But, so I actually kind of try to keep my, uh, my hands in the, in the soup, so to speak. Hey, this is episode number 91 of This Week in Radio Tech. And we're going to cover a few uh, topical things, uh, look at a, just a few things uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes uh, of, uh, of what's going on. Um, one thing I wanted to uh, uh, mention is um, this issue of... Um, background noise 
And actually, maybe that was one of the uh, hot topics that uh, Chris and Chris and Tom wanted to discuss. Background noise, and, uh, and what I mean is by that is, is RF noise. And noise, this is just general broadband noise produced by just a whole litany of different products, a lot of consumer products uh, that are making it difficult uh, or more difficult to pick up uh, radio stations, especially weak signals. And let's kind of see if we can try to define, you know, what what has become of uh, of, of radio uh, reception. And by the way, when we talk about, you know, we we as engineers are talking about this in terms of its impact on uh, AM and FM devices, but it can also have an impact on lots of other receiving devices, uh, such as uh, the the Wi-Fi receiver in your laptop or in your iPod or in your iPad. It can affect um, uh, if, if if you're trying to pick up, um, uh, say, a, a WiMAX signal or a, an LTE signal, and if if the general noise floor gets higher and higher, um, you may have a hard time picking these things up. So not only is it something that is affecting legacy broadcast uh, transmissions or the re- reception of those transmissions, transmissions haven't changed; just the noise picture has changed. Um, but it can also uh, work its way into affecting. Uh, new digital services that we've been enjoying. So with that said, uh, let's uh, kind of round robin this. Chris, Tar, I started with you. Let's uh, let's come back to you. Tell us what uh, this increase in background noise means to you and see if you can define the, the problem a bit better for us. Well, you know, I, actually, it doesn't really affect me too much. We're not, <laughs> we're in such, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we're in such a, a, a kind of a sparse area. Uh, where the noise floor really isn't isn't really getting affected by this, and you know what they're talking about a lot of times with the noise floor with with all these digi- additional electronics and portable devices and and uh, you know all these things that are out there today that are essentially RF noise generators that the overall kind of noise in the background has gotten louder and louder and and the interference has gotten greater and greater. Uh, you know now again uh, you know in a city like New York as as Tom and Chris will tell you. I'm sure the noise, uh, the noise temperature, as they like to call it, is, is much much higher than it is in a place like you know Milwaukee or, or you know especially a lot of places in the Midwest where there's really not a lot going on. But you start adding those little portable transmitters and, uh, you know the the XM and, and Sirius transmitters and all those all those different things for iPods, it all starts to add up pretty quickly. And actually, Chris, I wanted to bring you in first on the conversation because you do live in a sparse, I mean, one ago really wisconsin so much of, a, of an urban island effect there with a lot of people crammed into one space um i was thinking about some of the devices that are around me that can generate rf noise and, you know rf noise can be generated just by uh, uh digital circuitry because there's there's um you know all kinds of relatively high frequency square waves going on inside digital circuitry so even for example i'm i'm using a uh, a mic uh, preamplifier here. Now, I'm not saying that this is generating noise, but I'm. Uh, this is a Shure X2U. It's mic in on one end and USB out on the other end. Well, the USB part is is digital, and there. Are, uh, I know that there's sound card digital stuff inside this uh, Shure X2U. Well, also, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Well, you know, and it's it's not even you know things like that. You think about the fact that LCD monitors generate hash, uh, sure. computers generate hash, the clocks and those. Uh, it also a lot of times answers the question. A lot of people wonder why, especially with with portable digital radios and HD radios, why there's no AM on them. Well, because of the processors that generate so much noise that you you AM would essentially be be useless on these radios. But what they're talking about now is is it's starting to creep up 
all over the bands, not just AM anymore. And, uh, you know, especially in, in, in uh, the problem you have with HD radio, uh, the analog signal is pretty robust, but the digital signal is essentially AM, and it can get interfered with that way. Other devices I've got here, uh, you know, an, an iPod. I'm not saying that this, well, this has a certain amount that it's allowed to put out. Uh, in terms of its, of its digital circuitry, a certain amount of, of electromagnetic radiation while it's doing its job. Of course, a, a cell phone like this one, um, it, it, it's a transmitter. It transmits on cell phone frequencies. But I, I just got to believe that the transmitter is not 100% clean. In other words, that there's a, a mask under which the, uh, the transmission energy must fit under. But there's also noise being generated, again, by the digital circuits inside uh, that, that very cell phone. There's also problems with uh, noise energy coming from things like compact fluorescent light bulbs. Those things are just a wealth of uh, noise generation. Another uh, source is these um, switch mode uh, power supplies. Even little wall wart power supplies that are switch mode, they can make all kinds of noise uh, themselves. In fact, I, when, when I was doing more uh, uh, amateur radio uh, work, uh, I had a switch mode power supply in my home that produced some just some some RF energy right on the uh, frequency of a repeater in Nashville, Tennessee that I wanted to listen to. And the only way to listen to this repeater reliably in my home was to unplug the uh, switch mode power supply. I think it was for the, the, uh, the cable modem that I was using. So, and, and I, so I needed to have that plugged in. Um, Mr. Tarr, you live right there in the thick of it there in New York City. Uh, you probably, I'm guessing you live in a building that has quite a few other residents as well. Tell me about your experience with RF noise. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of noise here in town. Matter of fact, just my computer alone generates enough noise that uh, one of my two-way radios I have here, I'll show you a picture, happens to have a frequency in there for 486 megahertz, which is uh, one of the fire department channels here in town. And when I fire up the computer, the squelch opens up and suddenly the receiver no longer functions. So that's, there's noise right here localized. And then I have a spectrum analyzer I brought home the other night, and I started put an antenna, small little whip, about six inches on it, and the background noise, uh, when there's nothing connected, the noise floor of the receiver, the unit's like 120 minus dB, minus 120 dBm. I pop an antenna on that, and it pops up to around 98, 102, minus 102 dBm of noise. Uh, it's interesting. It's just, it's, it varies. But yeah, it's noisy in this building, and here in town. Um, it's wild. It's just, the article that we're talking about in Radio World, uh, let's see, that's the guy who did these tests is Steve Johnston. So just to, you were asking earlier, Kirk, about uh, who, who was the author of that. He's the director of engineering and operations for Wisconsin Public Radio. Ah. So we give credit where credit's due. I know there are other people that have written articles of similar uh, ilk, but at least this one is the Radio World June 15th edition, for those of you who are interested in looking it up. And he points out that he's, you know, the noise in the home has gone up or is, is up and in the office as well. And I know we've been receiving over the last year or so a lot of calls for our AM reception. A lot of listeners complaining that they don't get the signal or hear the station like they used to in many familiar places in their home, in their neighborhood. And it's interesting over the last, what, two or three years, the amount of smartphones and technologies that have, have come to the forefront. I'm wondering if that's brought the, the average noise floor up. I know using an FIM 21 AM field strength meter out on the streets of Manhattan, <laughs> and Tom knows. <laughs> you can dial it up and you know the needle just starts moving and it's just static there's, there's no intelligible audio it's just static so I can't imagine really? what's like people's homes oh yeah yeah and you know and it's not just electrical noise there's thermal noise from the heat 
there's all kinds of noise. I've been reading up about noise temperature, as, as Chris pointed out, and it, it's, it's all over the place. It's amazing what can contribute to it. And then receivers that are really sensitive just become more, uh, become more deaf as a result. It's, it's wild. And his article you know, talks about FM, too. It, it does seem like for years, uh, people interested in radio and radio reception, especially uh, weak signal reception like uh, folks in ham radio do, or if you're an engineer for a, a broadcaster, you often want to see how far your signal goes, so you're driving out in weak signal areas. And, and certainly, uh, there, there, there was a time before these modern times when uh, you'd run across interference from, say, fluorescent lights, the fairly localized, or or from perhaps uh, a, a power utility would, company would have a bad insulator somewhere, uh, and, and the, the noise would be emanating from the, the high-tension lines up and down the road for a long time. In fact, I, I remember uh, when I lived in, in Mississippi just a few years ago, uh, 10, 12 years ago, um, uh, there was a, 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 an FM repeater that I wanted to listen to on my ham radio, and for a several-mile stretch of uh, U.S. Highway 61, uh, north and south on the, over on the west side of Mississippi, I couldn't hear that repeater because of just all this noise that seemed to be coming from the power lines. I never discovered the source for sure, but you know, you were just localized to, to an area and then following uh, along with, with the power lines. So those are two sources of noise, is the noise that we've often contended with um, as studio builders, broadcasters, you know, with fluorescent lights. Uh, or trying to listen to an AM radio station uh, in, a, in a fluorescent lighted area, especially if you have a, a ballast going bad, uh, that also can contribute to it. Um, uh, but in more modern times here, in just the last few years, we sure have seen a big increase in, in additional noise sources. And it, uh, it'd be interesting to try to characterize you know, just what these sources are, is how much of it is from compact fluorescent lighting. And the, and the little power supplies, the switch mode supplies. And I should point out, I've mentioned switch mode supplies a few times. You know, a linear power supply uses uh, a big heavy transformer and, and probably some diodes and some capacitors and then maybe a regulator to turn AC power into regulated DC power. But they're kind of heavy and, and a little bit expensive because of, of all the iron in them. Nowadays, you get a, a wall wart uh, power supply. Like you know, here's a great example right here. Here's a uh, a little power supply uh, for a cell phone, and it's extremely lightweight. Doesn't weigh anything. Well, there's there's almost no iron in that. There's certainly no big transformers in that. I better plug my cell phone back in. Um, it's it's got a switch power supply in there, and also it's it's wide ranging. The input can be you know 110 volts or 240 volts. It doesn't care. It's going to put out the right voltage uh, for charging my phone. Uh, well, this thing, I assure you is noisy. Uh, I wish I had a spectrum analyzer right here and we could, we could check it out. Maybe if I had an AM, AM radio, I could check it out for you. Um, but these, so these are additional sources of, of noise. And just all the electronics that we have, somebody mentioned LCD TVs and LCD screens that they can put out a, a lot of hash. Um, one of the, the, the engineers on this uh, uh, podcast who makes his living from AM radio, which is certainly one of the first things to be affected by noise because of the way it demodulates, is Tom Ray. Tom, what you, you got to be putting up with all kinds of problems there in, in New York City with uh, with WOR reception. Uh, well, we are, and uh, actually, Chris mentioned the FIMs before. One of the other uh, characteristics of using an FIM in New York City is you can go to certain intersections, and because of the way the signals bounce off the building, you can take that FIM and you can turn a 360-degree circle, and you can't see the meter move. You cannot know it. You can't do anything. Uh, but... Uh, where I live up here in the Hudson Valley, it, it's in the null of, of the WR signal. Uh, WR nulls towards the north-northwest. And uh, I'm about 50 
five miles out from the transmitter site. So, and we're putting maybe about 5,000 watts in that direction. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty weak signal. Even though it's a low frequency, it's a pretty weak signal up here. So my routine in the morning is I, I go out of the house, I'll put my bag of stuff in the back of the car, turn on the APRS radio, uh, hop in the front seat, start the car, and normally I can hear WOR. Then I plug my smartphone in, and as soon as that LCD screen kicks up, boom, WR goes away. Uh, I turn on the GPS, forget it, totally gone. Um, yeah, and I found where I used to be able to hear the station, oh, I don't know, as little as five years ago, um, I have to go a little bit farther before I can hear it. And, and the noise floor recently, from all the storms in the unsettled atmosphere, um, there have been a couple of mornings when I have, well, let's see, I've had to get to almost Paranus, New Jersey to hear the uh, WR signal, and that's a good 30 miles from here. So, you know, I had to be within 20 miles of the transmitter site in the null to hear the, uh, to hear the signal. Yet if I go out with a field intensity meter, everything's right where it belongs. So, hmm. the well, noise floor I, I'm kind of flying, uh, as far as watching the video of this podcast, Yes, as we produce it, I'm flying a little bit blind here because I'm getting such a delayed signal. But I just sent to uh, Burke um, a, a couple of spectrograph uh, links uh, from that article by, uh, that where, where Steve Johnson uh, had had done this uh, these tests. And and if uh, if Burke can throw those up and compare the left hand spectrograph and the right hand spectrograph, never mind the picture of the house that's in there. Uh, well, that's the house that that Steve went in and out of. Um, this shows uh, where the spectrograph is filled in between the carriers. That is the noise floor that we're talking about. Uh, the right-hand spectrograph shows um, a, a fairly normal relationship of carriers to uh, to ambient uh, RF noise in the atmosphere. Although I, I still think they're filled in quite a bit on the on the right-hand display. But he goes inside the house and. You know, all this uh, all this noise floor really comes up. The grass grows, as you might say, because it does look a bit like grass. Uh, and this is I, this is the kind of noise that we're talking about, uh, or, or certainly one manifestation of the kind of noise that we're talking about. So anyway, that's uh, I would point you to that Radio World article again if you want to have a look at that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes on thisweekinradiotech.com. Um, but as as uh, uh, Chris Tobin mentioned it's from the, the June 16th, 2011 issue of uh, Radio World Magazine online at uh, rwonline.com. And I think this is, a, this, is a, this is a very interesting study. It's, of course, the question, you know, AM, as we've mentioned, gets affected by this kind of noise first because of the way AM receivers work. Uh, uh, Tom, maybe you could uh, detail that a bit for us. You know, it used to be that, that when you wanted to listen out for a thunderstorm, and you had no other way to know it was coming. One way was to tune your AM radio to an, an unused spot on the dial. I think on the lower end of the dial was typically better. And, uh, and just listen to the noise. And when you'd hear the crash of lightning come through on the radio, you'd know there was a thunderstorm uh, nearby or, or approaching. Tom, what can you uh, inform us about you know, why AM has been subject to more noise? And, and then we'll move into why it's moving into other services. Well, it's simply, it's simply the physics of the way the signal works, Kirk. Um, if, if you're talking an FM signal, the discriminator in the radio is looking for a frequency swing either side of carrier, and noise pulses tend to be amplitude-related. So um, an AM radio obviously is looking for the amplitude change, uh, and it's also looking for the, for the extra sidebands generated, but if, there's no side, if there are no sidebands there and, and lightning comes up, 
or you get a noise crash of some type, whether it's generated by a microprocessor or what have you, the radio is going to hear it, where the FM will tend to ignore it because it's looking for a frequency uh, change. That's so, just because uh, the FM just because the FM will ignore these these uh, this this amplitude uh, crud, like in the in the case of a lightning st uh, stroke, uh, you know, a, a crash of energy, or uh, in the case of just more more typical broadband noise, um, uh, you know, you just hear more stuff between the stations. Um, okay, AM hears that. FM doesn't, you say, because FM uses a discriminator. It's looking for a change in a carrier frequency rather than just some amplitude. But uh, I guess at some point we reach the point where the discriminator is being fed um, uh, so much noise that, that, that um, I'm having a hard time putting this in, into words, but the, the, the discriminator quits working quietly because there's so much noise uh, as it's trying to, to discriminate that carrier uh, frequency change. Well, the FM uh, radio also has a limiter stage in it, and what, it, what, what that wants to do is it sets a threshold level for the uh, carrier, so anything above that gets clipped off. Well, if you have a lot of noise coming in, you're going to have a lot of clipping going on, and you're going to generate noise inside the radio. Um, and, you know, Chris was right before, Chris Tower was right before when he mentioned the uh, HD radio and such, uh, but if you looked at those spectrograph, uh, spectrographs before, you notice that the noise rode up. Well, the HD radio signal is a little teeny tiny thing. It's, you know, between 1% and 10% of the analog signal. And if it's down here and the analog's up there, but the noise floor is up here, uh, up, up in this range someplace, you're going to bury that little HD radio signal. You're not going to be able to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the desire to undesired carrier change is what's going to kill you. And looking at that spectrum, you can see exactly what Tom's pointing out that as the noise increases, the spectrum where on the right-hand side you see the finger stock, if you will, the ups and downs, we'll assume those are FM carriers that they were monitoring. And in between are the dark areas where the noise floor is and riding with the signal. Right there is where the HD carriers are. And then at the left image where you have just what looks like a black, you know, zigzag hashy line and one or two strong carriers, the HD is gone. At that point, I can't imagine the bit error con correction in the HD receiver would, would even function well enough to you know, get what you want. Um, and that's, that's what I think is what we have to watch out for. Even though FMs eliminate AM through the limiter stage, there is still the principle of RF capture and RF uh, uh, overload. So an RF overload could be anything. It doesn't have to be intelligible noise. It could be unintelligent, if you will, or random noise, and that's enough to swamp a receiver. And I think that's what this uh, gentleman, this, uh, Steve, was it Steve Johnson, was trying to point out. He was saying that you know, we, we need to be looking at broadband noise uh, more uh, toward how it impacts everything for FM 88 to 108 megahertz. And, uh, you know, the graphs tell it right there. And any of us who have worked in the digital domain in RF and AM and FM, and even TV, I've worked with the TV guys with HDTV, and the first thing they talk about is noise floor and spectral regrowth as the growing grass, is, as Kirk pointed out, and that's where you get burned because you're dealing with carriers that are, you know, spectrally wide. It's not just a single carrier up and down. It's, it's, it's across time and well, frequency. And the other, the other issue we have to run into here is it's not just broadcast, AM, FM, TV. It's all across the services. And, and what's yeah. happening as a consequence of that is a lot of these other secondary services, what do they do? They increase the efficiency, turn up the power a little bit, change your antennas around, and just add more to the noise floor. It's, it's essentially, okay, I can't hear you, so I'm going to yell louder. And that just contributes to the whole, to the whole problem. So, you know, it, it's kind of this... Uh, spiral, as you will, that gets started, and uh, you know it just it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder, and 
you know, there's there's really no uh, there's no solution in sight at this point. You know, this this reminds me so much of back when uh, they were called class class four AM stations that were 250 watts at night and 1,000 watts during the day. They all got to turn their power up, or most of them did anyway, to uh, 1,000 watts day and night. I was working at WEKY in Richmond, Kentucky, when that uh, came when that word came through from the FCC. We were allowed to be 1,000 watts day and night. And even at 1,000 watts coming out at uh, 1340 a.m., you could see the tower and not pick the station up. You could be like seven, eight, nine, ten miles away from the tower, see it on a hill on the south side of Richmond, Kentucky, and all you hear on your radio is just a bunch of noise. Hey, I'm looking at, at Steve Johnson's article here, and, and he, yeah, he, he says here, points out kind of what, what I, I thought he, he would. Um, he points out that on the spectrographs, his spectrum analyzer was configured uh, to show conditions across the whole band. I guess he means the FM band, as, as, as Chris uh, Tobin thought. Um, in a very broad manner, the settings would not be appropriate to measure an individual signal. He goes on to say, the strongest noise sources I found inside the home were recently manufactured wall wart switch mode power supplies used for charging batteries and cell phones and digital cameras. Some made a broad hash, while others produced a series of noise peaks on discrete frequencies through the band. Hmm, that's kind of what happens when you have a lot of square waves. Uh, probably related to the switching frequency. He also said that some HDTV sets and DVD players were also very noisy in the FM band, maybe from their power supplies as well, but with their internal supplies, it's impossible to, to, to be certain for sure. Uh, some personal computers and digital clocks and telephones were also quite noisy in the FM band as well. Uh, he says the urban apartments that I checked were also awash with noise, much higher than the background level in the parking lot outside. Uh, with fewer square feet of space, noise sources are concentrated more so than a single-family home. You know, I guess this is all very predictable, and, and I, I'd kind of like to look at, at um, talking about, okay, uh, what, what's going to happen from here? As, as Chris Tarr said, you know, we all just yell louder. Uh, back when allowed Class 4 AMs to turn up to 1,000 watts at night, well, you still could, after they all did that, uh, you know, you, you still couldn't hear them so well. That ostensibly was to overcome some man-made noise, but this was back in the, in the mid-'80s when we were cranking up AM stations to overcome uh, some, some man-made noise. Um, and again, you know, here, again, we're talking about this in terms of broadcast reception, but this has got to impact other things as well. You know, a switch mode supply that's throwing out noise doesn't, care, doesn't know, doesn't care if it's throwing out noise in the AM band, the FM band, the police radio band, the, the aircraft frequency band, uh, or bands that you may be using uh, with your cell phone to communicate to get, you know, the latest uh, 4G services. Um, it's not a, not a respecter of those things. It tends to be that the you know, lower frequencies get get noised up first uh, because a lot of these like switch mode power supply circuits work at a fundamental of, I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 80 kilohertz, something like that. And then you have harmonics that go well on up in the AM band and perhaps higher, higher than that. Um, I, I was thinking about, okay, what, what if they mandated uh, these consumer products uh, to, to be less noisy? Well, then you're going to pay more. They're going to have more shielding inside of them, more multi-layer circuit boards that have, uh, you know, ground planes on the top and bottom layers. Uh, you know, I, hey, I just bought a, a, a widescreen TV. I think it was on Woot.com for 370 bucks. And, you know, what if that, you know, a product like that was subject to uh, uh, much more stringent uh, RFI requirements? What's it going to cost then? I don't know. Uh, if you guys give some opinion on this. Mr. Tarr, what, what do you think about 
regulating things uh, more heavily? What's going to happen if, if they do that? Well, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of solving things by regulation. And, in fact, we were just talking in the chat room here about different types of wall warts and things. I think there are smart ways to regulate this, and there are the hammer ways. And I think some of the uh, the green initiatives with some of these power supplies and equipment uh, will help. You know, they they have the new switching supplies that are a little bit smarter that, that go kind of into a hibernator or sleep mode where there's no load attached to them. Um, you know, people are now buying power strips that shut down everything when you're not using them. So, you know, there are some other solutions to that problem other than, than mandating things. I think, um, you know, I, I just think that as time goes on and, and this problem gets worse and worse, I think there are some other things at work that at least kind of help out a little bit in terms of the way that manufacturing is being done on some of these power supplies and some of these electrical things. But, you know, I, I just... I would like to think the regulation is the answer, but I, in this case, I just don't think it is. It's, I think you're right. It's just going to make things more expensive, and uh, you know, I, I don't think that. I think the you know the 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 genie's out of the bottle at this point. You know, so we need to talk about ways to, uh, you know, to 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 do it in a better and in a smarter manner with shielding and, and green technology, as opposed to just saying, hey, you have to make these things silent. Because I just don't think it's going to happen, especially with all the devices being made and imported and exported, and it's just it would be way too difficult to do. You know, Chris, I, I like what you're saying, but uh, I'll remind everyone: you live in the area that doesn't have this problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> Chris Tobin, okay, New York City, uh, where they regulate what the the water flow from your showers. Oh, what what is, is there an answer to, to this problem in uh, in a in an urban area? Um, the answer to the problem, well, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to find an easy one because if you remember, uh, the FCC, I'm just looking now, has licensed a lot of stuff in the, what they call the ISM bands, the Industrial, Scientific, and Medical Bands, and there are all the uh, allocated, uh, is it, uh, unlicensed RF emitters that are allowed to use, and the regulation and monitoring of that is so minimal that that's where a lot of the problems will, will come from, just people using, uh, uh, license, you know, uh, I should say, permitted emitters. So it's unlicensed, so there's no regulation. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a fan of regulation either, but there is, there is a certain need of uh, a certain uh, decorum as to how you handle stuff. But it's gotten too far away. It, it's, it's, I don't know if we can actually rein it in, if you will. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, the genie's out of the bottle. And now it's a question of how do we uh, uh, try and preserve what we have and understand better how to work around it. And I think that's something that we're not doing enough of. And, uh, you know, it, there is no real easy, no easy answer. I mean, think about it. All the unlicensed Wi-Fi that's out there, you know, 5.8, 2.4, all that stuff generates all kinds of energy. And if you're in the right proximity, you know, your cell phone will have problems, let alone your Wi-Fi. And then, you know, AM, and AM is just unfortunately going to be screwed uh, because of the nature of the, the noise itself. FM is just now starting to feel the effects that AM has had to live with for the last, what, 20, 25 years when you really be, think about it. It would be, I was just looking at this, uh, this uh, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Tom, you go ahead. I, go, go ahead I, I, yeah, no, no, I was going to say, you mentioned uh, CFL's compact fluorescent lights before, and someone in the chat room mentioned them and mentioned the new LED lamps. Um, at field day this year, uh, which was a couple of weeks ago, our ham radio club picked up a, a bunch of these little LED desk lamps. Um, it's funny, we, we didn't hear any extra noise from those. Uh, and uh, Chris Tobin may have been at this uh, SBE meeting we had. It was, you know, about a year, maybe two years ago. Um, living in the New York, New York area, we have a lot of advantages for, for SBE and for manufacturers. Uh, matter of fact, we have Middle Atlantic products over in New Jersey. And you may know them as the guys who make racks. 
Well, they do a lot of other things, and one of the things they were working on was a new type of conduit for uh, wiring in homes, or not homes, but, but well, yeah, homes, but businesses, mo primarily businesses, that would allow you to be a little looser with how you uh, handled the wires and, and, and the twist among them and to keep the uh, magnetic field and electrical field inside that conduit. And one of the things uh, Bob Schluter, who uh, is, is the owner of uh, Mid-Atlantic, did, he pulled out a compact fluorescent bulb and showed us the waveform. And let me tell you, the waveform going into this thing is horrendous. It's, it's a absolutely fierce triangle wave. Hmm. Uh, then he brought out a dimmable compact fluorescent bulb. And the current waveform going into that was almost a pure sine wave, just like uh, the voltage was. And it was a heck of a lot quieter. Uh, and, it, and, you know, to make it dimmable, they have to do it that way. And um, I'm not quite sure exactly what's involved with the ballast, but the ballast is so different that the, uh, a, a dimmable compact fluorescent bulb will be a heck of a lot quieter than a regular one. In, in, yeah, in that was a great room, meeting. You know, they mentioned this uh, the, the thing about they thought LEDs were perhaps uh, more noisy. Uh, you know, an, an LED uh, running off DC shouldn't make any noise at all, nothing appreciable. Um, I would think that the noisy part of an LED uh, lamp is going to be the power supply that's running the LED. That, that may be where the problem comes. The LED's current draw typically is, is um, a power draw is, is pretty low. I'm, I'm just wondering if it's... Uh, it's kind of difficult to make a switch mode supply that that um, not difficult but expensive to make one that's that's quiet. Uh, and I think it's it's all a big matter of cost here. I was just looking at while you guys were chatting, looking at this little power supply. This is from uh, from Blackberries who made this little supply, and uh, there's a UL listing. Of course, that doesn't mean it's quiet. I don't think that means it's not going to catch on fire, um, and it's safe to hold and so, such. Uh, I know that at the company I work at, my employer, uh, Telos Omniaxia, we uh, we sell all kinds of equipment in Europe, and so we have to get CE certification on them. And so they, ha they all have to go to a testing lab where they have this idea as an anechoic chamber, and they, you know, they, they measure uh, our equipment with cables attached to see what it does, and, and I guess with cables detached and to determine what kind of cable you might need. Um, and it's expensive to do, but I, I tell you what, we, it it's, it's can be difficult to design circuitry such that uh, it meets all those uh, CE specs. Um, uh, this little BlackBerry supply doesn't have a CE certification on it, so I'm wondering if I wonder if BlackBerry makes different power supplies for use in Europe where they need a CE um, uh, sticker on them. Anybody have any notions about that? I, I got a feeling this is noisy, and maybe ones that go to Europe are not so, unless there's different classes of ones, like uh, you know, like, like for consumer goods versus uh, stuff that Telos Omnia Axia makes. You know, generally I don't see that just because it's the the manu to, to manufacture them differently. Actually, costs more than manufacturing them the same to the higher standard. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff I see tends to be, uh, you know, uh, classified for all that, and they just label them differently. But uh, you know, the, the, you you triggered something that I recall here when you're talking about the switch mode power supplies with LED lights. We have a, a, an issue here in Wisconsin that's starting to crop up. Uh, our Department of Transportation and all state highways have moved to LED stoplights. And aside from the fact that one of the problems we found out was in the winter, the snow doesn't melt off the front of them. <laughs> so people can't see if it's red or green or anything else. The other problem is, okay. is, is have your AM radio on and park at an intersection with one of these. You can't hear anything. The noise is so bad uh, from what really? that all of these LED stoplights are generating. So, uh, you know, even things like that have an effect. 
And I, I'm imagining that's not, not just going to be an issue on AM frequencies at these stoplights, at these supplies. But, you know, you've got an intersection with, you know, uh, in the tens of, of, of these lights with, with matching uh, power supplies for each lens. Uh, it's, it's noisy as heck at an intersection when you've got those, those lights around. Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, Chris or Tom, any, any thoughts about you know certification and whether uh, that that I, I know that as a manufacturer, hey, when I worked at Scott Studios, we had to set things off for certification, or you know we had to supply uh, cables that had toroidal uh, you know, ferrite beads on them to to keep uh, you know too too much emission from from happening. Uh, I know that that uh, even on something as seemingly simple and and direct as a uh, an AES EBU digital uh, input or output uh, connection, that's got to be designed right. Otherwise, when you connect the cable to it, there's going to be too much junk uh, being emitted out to the air through the cable that's carrying the AES EBU. You guys have thoughts on this? You know, broadcast equipment maybe versus consumer gear. Well, I think that broadcast equipment is held to a higher standard than some of the consumer stuff. Also, with the certifications, whether it's CE, UL, uh, NSA, and all the others that are out there, or US, uh, UA, or something, I forget the other ones. A lot of it is just basically if you intend to sell that product in a particular region, then you need to be certified. So, you know, in the case of your BlackBerry power supply, that wall water is we're affectionately known as, it's very possible they have two forms of, uh, you know, two products they ship. And for domestic United States, North America, they ship those out. And then once they're in the field, that's it. If you take it with you on travel, it's not regulated, so you can take that overseas, put an adapter on it, because it's most likely a was it a 47 volt to a what is it 200 to 220 volt uh, you know switching supply, and then you just put an adapter on it, they're done. They've met their obligation as far as in the United States. If you travel with it, that's your own thing. Uh, in a commercial environment, from what I know from talking to folks who do manufacturing, um, a lot of broadcast stuff is it's just a higher standard. Believe it or not, uh, consumer can get away with a lot more. And it's just because it's used in residential, and I guess different environment. That's how they look at it. So yeah, it's it, it's a tough one. It's a tough balance. And, and as Chris pointed out, it does come down to cost. You know, benefit and cost. And you know, at, at one point, you as a manufacturer, you know, take take the hit on your margins. So yeah, uh, I know that there was a, a time when we were we at at, at Telesomnia actually were were designing uh, some RF shielding. Uh, to keep you know uh, RF interference EMI you know, from getting in or from getting out of of, of a circuit tree, and we were up to like a, a I don't know an eight or ten layer circuit board with the top and bottom layers being you know big ground planes, and then we were also looking at the fit of just the metal case to see if we could uh, we were actually examining things like uh, like the Xbox and and other uh, maybe a, a, a Nintendo box, and we were looking at how they achieve. Some RF shielding just through uh, using carbon in the in the plastic, and how the fit of the uh, of the edges of the of the box go together to try to create an RF seal. Now, somebody in the chat room pointed out, hey, you, you drop one of the you, you know you drop a product that may meet spec, especially a plastic consumer product. You drop one of these, or it gets repaired for the first time, and all bets are out out the window uh, as far as it's meeting any certification if it did meet you know uh, in in the first place. Hey guys, we're gonna pause it right here, and I'm gonna. Uh, tell you about our sponsor, which on this episode is uh, my employer, and I appreciate them sponsoring the show, and that's Omnia Audio. The website is uh, omniaaudio.com. Omnia is spelled O-M-N-I-A, omniaaudio.com. At Omnia, there's a couple of uh, new processors out, audio processors, for FM and for HD, and I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of uh, detail about them. The first one I want to tell you about is the Omnia 11. 
The Omnia 11 is shipping now. And in fact, I just heard from uh, from Frank Foti that uh, the version one release software is now shipping. So uh, no more beta software. Uh, it's uh, it's it's release software, and it looks really good. Not only it looks good, it sounds fabulous. And and sure, anybody can say it sounds fabulous. Uh, but let me tell you what my experiences uh, actually have been. The first time that we demoed an Omnia 11 to anyone. Uh, was a major city, East Coast, and the engineer was uh, actually one of the engineers who had a hand in developing the Omnia FM hot algorithms. And he said about the Omnia 11 on his station, um, he said, wow, it sounds effortlessly loud. Now, isn't that a change from what audio processors usually sound like when they sound loud? You know, in audio processing, to sound loud, it seems like you gotta you gotta pull out every trick in the book. You gotta do a, a bunch of uh, you know uh, uh, high release time, uh, excuse me, fast release time uh, HTC. You gotta do a lot of multiband limiting and really be aggressive about it. And then you gotta get into the clippers, you know, and clip that audio really hard to just to the point where it's not too irritating. And you put that all on the air, and it may sound loud, but uh, it sure doesn't sound effortless. In fact, uh, most audio processors, when they try to get loud, they, they, they kind of sound like this. They really try to sound like they're being loud. Well, the Omni 11 is different. It really is different. And the reason it's different, or what makes it different, is that the Omnia design team, Rob Guy, Corny Gould, Frank Foti, and others, have worked tirelessly on developing algorithms that result in low intermodulation distortion. And IMD is what plagues all audio processors. IMD, intermodulation distortion, is what happens when two signals, like an audio signal and a control signal, or uh, maybe a mid-frequency audio signal and a low-frequency audio signal, it, it's what you get when these two signals combine in a non-linear circuit. And what is, a, what is a compressor? What is a limiter? What is a clipper? They're all non-linear. You don't get out of them exactly what you put in. Uh, you get a gain-changing environment, and depending on the speed of that gain change, you're going to get different forms of intermodulation distortion. And frankly, as an engineer, I I've heard intermod distortion for years. Uh, I mean, on on competing uh, audio processors and on Omni audio processors. And what's different about the 11 is Frank Corny and Rob have just taken incredible measures to develop new ways to get rid of. IMD to mitigate it, to minimize it, and in some cases, even to hide it. That's right. Hide the IMD under other audio so that your ear doesn't hear it. And that's, a, that's one of the many techniques that they've used to get IMD down to the point where it's not perceptible. What's the result on the air? Well, result, the result on the air is you get audio that is as loud as any other station on the dial. You stand up loud and proud, but it's so clean. It's so absolutely listenable. You hear things in the audio that you, you never heard before. I think uh, on an earlier uh, episode, I may have told you that one uh, night, late night, I flew into Cleveland, Ohio, the headquarters of, of Telosomnia Axia, and I got a rental car. And I was kind of pleased with the radio in this rental car. It sounded really good. I'm driving, and I'm listening to the, uh, the, the very end of, of a show, and then they played the top of the hour ID. It was, a, it was a rock station, and they went right into a Fleetwood Mac song. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that sounds like a refreshed mix of that Fleetwood Mac song. And so, uh, in fact, I'll bet there's an Omni on this station. I'll ask uh, Corny about it in the morning. So I you know, came in the sta in, into uh, uh, Omnia that morning, the next morning. I said, Corny, I was listening to uh, W. Blah, 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 and uh, sounded really good. What's, uh, what, what's playing there? Did you go there and tweak their Omnia 6? He said, no, that's, that's an Omnia 11. 
Oh, that makes sense. That's why it sounds good. That's why it sounds like I heard a, a new mix of uh, the Fleetwood Mac song. You hear detail that you've never heard before. A lot of presets in it, but I tell you what, the first couple of presets you try, you're going to find one that you like. Uh, the Omni 11 can do just all manner of, of, uh, of processing for your, your, uh, your analog FM and your HD. Um, uh, check it out. There's a brochure on the website. Uh, there's uh, some pictures on the brochure that help you understand a lot about the signal path, and there's some white papers by uh, Frank Foti on there that explain a bit more about the Omnia 11. I'd like you to check it out. I did mention at the beginning of this announcement the Omnia 9 uh, is also being a new processor. That processor was shown at the NAB show. It's coming out this fall. It's the one designed by Leif Clayson. We have a great collaboration with Leif. And um, the difference between them? Well, here it is in a nutshell. The Omnia 9 has a feature list as long as your arm. It does all kinds of things. It does the dishes. It makes mounds of julienne fries. The Omni 11 is a, a bit more of a one-trick pony. But let me put it this way. Oh, what a trick it is. Check it out on the website. It's uh, omniaaudio.com, and you can check out the Omni 11 or the Omni 9. And thank you, Omni, for being a sponsor of This Week in Radio Tech. All right, guys, uh, forward, upward, onward with the, uh, with the show. Uh, are we done talking about all this uh, noise? Where are we going with it? How can we mitigate it? Uh, I guess we really don't have solutions. Um, are we just going to have to transmit stronger signals uh, uh, to overcome things that uh, aren't regulated? Uh, and the short answer, probably. Uh, that's what their HD uh, carrier proposals are trying to do. Uh, inadvertently, I think that's what the result is because of the noise floor. Also, on the topic of noise, for those of you uh, watching and listening, if you really want to get a good understanding of grounds and, and electrical distribution for your facilities, both at home or at the office or in the studios, as Tom Ray pointed out, our SBE 15 chapter here in New York City did visit Middle Atlantic Products in New Jersey, and it was a great session. And they have a white paper. It's at their website. Just go to the middleatlantic.com uh, and look under white papers, uh, sessions, I think, and look for the one regarding power in the home or studio. And then uh, all I'm going to say is, if you're really curious, look up bootleg grounds, okay? A bootleg ground. We probably all bootleg have in our ground. studios. Yes, okay. bootlegs. Okay, but it's a great huh. paper. You sit there, read it, you, you say to yourself, wow, things that you and I probably have been doing for years and thought was correct actually contribute to some of the problems we experience. Interesting. Yeah, it's a great so, yeah, paper. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the, the links to it right now. Yeah, middleatlantic.com. In fact, you can go right, right to it, middleatlantic.com slash power.htm. We'll put that link on the uh, thisweekinradiotech.com website uh, as well. You know, some manufacturers really have put a lot of work into, into white papers. Uh, I, I really like uh, some of the papers that, uh, uh, that Orban has put out at the end of their, of their manuals. Uh, they have a, a paper on getting clean audio. Uh, Frank Foti at, at Omni, of course, sponsored the show. It's a number of white papers. Uh, Nautel has a terrific uh, paper that's uh, on, at the back of many of their um, uh, uh, manuals, or maybe it's a separate manual, about uh, surge protection and getting, getting li keeping lightning out of your, your equipment. And so Mid-Atlantic, you know, Mid-Atlantic does... Um, um, oh, what's the word for it? Uh, you know, they do um, uh, 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 computing centers. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? They do racks for you know um, data server rooms and data set. There you go, data centers. And so yeah, they got to know about about proper uh, proper grounding. Um, I guess in the consumer environment, um, grounding uh, you, you have no control over that in a consumer environment. And most of this noise we're talking about is coming from the consumer environment. Did, do we have any idea how much no, how much of this radio 
on background noise is coming from things like power distribution. Uh, I've heard that figures like upwards, and this may be just totally wrong, but I, I thought I heard upwards of 50% of the power generated is lost through inefficiencies and, and noise generation through you know bad insulators. And the power company sometimes won't, won't replace a bad insulator until it gets uh, to the point where it's either dangerous or just genuinely arcing over. Making a little bit of noise? Ah, don't worry about it. You guys know about that? Uh, but if you, if you can spot something and prove that it's making noise, they are under obligation from not only the FCC, but uh, their state charters to eliminate that noise immediately. Um, and there are cases, um, and, I, and I've read these in ham radio magazines, where the FCC has actually fined the power companies and told them, you correct it by this date, or the fine will start escalating. So if you can identify where, where it's making noise, they have to come out and fix it. Hmm. Chris, in, uh, Chris uh, Tarr, in your part of the world where it's kind of rural, do you, do you have power company noise? Is that a problem for you? Oh, sure. Well, especially out here because a lot, most of our power is overhead lines, and they stretch pretty far out. Now, you know, where I'm at, I'm, I'm in a new subdivision kind of near this, the, the village center, so, you know, all of our lines are, are fairly new and, and well cared for. But, you know, there are, you know, infrastructure does age, and especially in areas where, you know, there's a lot of space uh, between houses, uh, and there's a lot of that out here. Uh, you do have real long runs of cable, and uh, you know the infrastructure is fairly old. So you know we do have some of that. And and Tom's right. Um, you know if you do find noise and you can attribute it to something going on with the power company, they're required to fix it. However, you know I find that a lot of these issues are really just inside the house. Uh, you know things just like, you know you have all these you know cordless phones, cell phones. Switching power supplies, uh, you know, LCD monitors, computers, all generating to the total, you know, noise temperature in the house. You know, it's, you know, nothing compared. You know, the stuff going on outside is nothing compared to what's going on in your house. But even, uh, you know, some things we have here, believe it or not, that cause interference are things like, uh, you know, fences that that are keeping the cows in. You know, a lot of times they get. Uh, you know, they get rusty or they corrode and, and they start to, uh, you know, make very good incidental radiators. So, you know, we have issues like that out here as well. Well, taking a call there, I see. <laughs> yeah, well. The, uh, the 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 daughter was at the mall and uh, and she's uh, calling. So anyway, I said, hey, hey, hang on a few more minutes. We're going to be done with the show in about ten more minutes. Um, uh, you know, I was just thinking about about this 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 well well this problem of noise solve itself. And you know, I don't see it solving itself for a couple of reasons. And uh, one is you know consumers want inexpensive uh, gear. They want to if hey here's a here's a battery charger. That's four dollars. Here's a battery charger. That's twenty nine dollars. Of course, usually the four dollar quality one is twenty nine dollars. But um, I, I don't see people want to pay more for a benefit that they can't see. Now, uh, the other part of the problem is indeed you can't. You, you, you all you know is that a radio station you used to be able to pick up, you can't pick up anymore. But you don't know why. You know the average consumer would have no idea why. And even for an engineer, it might be hard to track down. Um, uh, if somebody would develop some RF visualization glasses, right, and you could put these specs on and look around your house and see all the sources of of uh, of, of EMI, um, gee, do you think consumers would say something then to manufacturers? 
uh, hey, I'm not going to buy your, your, your power supply anymore. Look at that TV. There's all kinds of stuff coming out the back of it. Wouldn't that be interesting? See, the, 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 there's this big gap between the consumer buying a product and plugging it in and relating that to some interference that they experience either then or later on. Isn't that a big problem? If they had some instant feedback, wouldn't, the, w couldn't that change things? Actually, I think most consumers would probably run screaming from the room because they really wouldn't comprehend <laughs> what they're looking at and they think they're going to die. Yeah, you know, I, I don't see them. I, I don't see them caring much, even if they could see it. You know, I, I just think that, you know, engineers are wired a little differently. We know what's going on and can separate that. Uh, a consumer, I, I'm just imagining my mom caring about that. You know, it's like, uh, okay, you know, so what? What does that mean? Uh, so I, I do think it's an uphill battle. On the other hand, I think the fact that we're kind of dealing with mutually assured destruction here can be a good thing. I, you know, it could be that at some point it gets so bad that. You know, at least the big players get together and go. You know what? We we need to do something because nobody's winning at this point. Um, you know, and and we need to put pressure on. You know, because for example, uh, you know, the power supply you're talking about goes for a cell phone. Well, what happens when the cell phones start? You know, not working real well or becoming very inefficient because of the noise. They may trace it back to okay. We need to make our. You know, we can do our part by making our power supplies a little less lousy. So, you know, I, I, there may be some of that. Maybe I'm an eternal optimist and, and I'm completely off on this. But I'm hoping that the whole kind of mutually assured destruction part of this kind of causes everybody to, to reassess it. Hmm. That's plausible. I would agree with that. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Because there's, there's no, I don't think there's a solution in sight. And there won't be. It's, it's really cost-benefit. I just looked at my BlackBerry uh, power supply. And it does have a CE certification and the only other one. So I guess mine's a newer version than yours, Kirk. <laughs> or maybe it's a real BlackBerry of one. Mine's a uh, mine's a cheap knockoff. Oh, so you're BlackBerry. the offending signals that are interfering. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, all that hash is coming from from uh, my hotel room in Miami right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. Well, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just I'm I'm depressed about this now because I I just see this as being insidious. And consumers getting fed up with their electronic gear that doesn't work, that doesn't receive well, their Wi-Fi that, that keeps uh, uh, quitting, uh, their, their 4G reception that, that is no good because of, uh, you know, of, of noise. Uh, they can't hear AM at all. They haven't tried in years because the last time they tried, it, it didn't work very well. And then FM starts getting worse. I don't know. Am, am, am I just... Uh, well, I'm, you know, on the, on, the other hand, on the other hand, Kirk, we're our own worst enemy because... Those Wi-Fi signals and those cell phone signals and those Bluetooth signals and the, you know that all adds it too. I mean, we're you know you're talking about you know things that are unintended radiators, but we have a ton of intended radiators too that add to this problem. So it's not just the switching power supplies that are that are causing the problem. It's the these devices in in aggregate and and even the cheaply done Wi-Fi and cell phone and or not cell phone in particular, but cordless phones, you know, are all all over the place in terms of frequency and, and, and splattered stuff. So, you know, it, even if you were tomorrow to fix all the, the unintentional sources of noise, I still think, you know, we're so far ahead with, with wireless being the big thing now, wireless everything, that it's going to be real hard to overcome that ever. Uh, that's our show title, Devices in Aggregate. There you go. That's kind of described it. Hey, what what happens when we have um, uh, you know, there's people who are working on, on uh, wireless uh, power distribution technology. Now, people who are afraid of RF radiation now from coming from their little wimpy cell phone, they ought to be really afraid of, of uh, the kind of fields that you'd need to have 
wireless power transmission, shouldn't they? Or am I misunderstanding uh, what what's some people are proposing? Uh, there may be Nobody some concern knows. there. It is, you know, it's wireless, it's radiating, it's inductive. I mean, near-field communication devices are now coming on the market. There's another, another noise generator, possibly. It's even more in close proximity to any radio receiver you might want to use at the home or at the office. Uh, laptops are now going to have them, and I think uh, iPhones and smartphones are coming out with them. So, yeah, we've got, we've got a, lot of, a lot of noise on the, on the front coming. I, I, a few years ago, I was joking with a friend of mine about, yeah, so we're going to start making uh, wireless power cords. They're going to come in one meter and two meter and ten meter lengths. You pick your length and uh, your wireless power cord. And, and yeah. But just but imagine if you know if people. I mean, uh, people want wireless. That's true. I've got I've got a desk full of wires here at the hotel for the for all these things. What if it was all wireless? Well, that would, that would be kind of cool. Uh, but all that all that's that RF has got to be you know somewhere, and the generation of that RF uh, invariably you know you you generate RF in other areas that you didn't intend to, and even the receivers. They all have local oscillators, so they're generating a small amount of RF in order to pick up the RF that they want to pick up. I mean, why do you think that they that they ban uh, uh, you know cell phones and other devices on on aircraft because the the weak signal, the weak AM signal that the aircraft uh, you know is trying to receive. Okay, I'm not talking about GPS, but you know the VOR signals. Uh, you know, re really easily screwed with when you're 70 miles from the VOR and there's a you know a good little RF radiator sitting in somebody's hand right inside the plane. Oh, it has nothing to do uh, with that. It's the airlines. They can't get money out of the phone carriers. That's why. Yeah. Well, that, there's, some, nah, there's some truth both ways. <laughs> there, there's no, you're absolutely right, though. Yeah, it's uncontrolled radiators in a, con apartment, a confinement like that. Yeah, you still run the risk of trouble. And that's, that's life safety at that point. Yeah. I don't know. T Tom, do you, do you, I've been pretty pessimistic here. Tom Ray, you got any, any optimism for me? No, not at all. You know, what I've noticed, like, around, like, with uh, LED traffic lights, and, and actually anything that comes out that's new, at first it'll be noisy. The next iterations of them that come out yeah, tend to be a little quieter because the companies, you, you know, the first time they put the thing out there, they're rushing it to market, they're trying to get it out. And then it kind of starts getting quieting down a little bit because they refine the design a bit and make it work better. So, uh, I don't know. They're, they're, while we still may be getting noisy and probably getting noisier, um, yeah, there might be some hope. I don't know where, but there might be. <laughs> are, are there uh, modes of communication that are really resistant to noise? And as ham radio operators, uh, you guys ought to be uh, uh, expert in some of this. Tom, uh, do you ever, you ever do any of these, these digital modes that, uh, that just need a, the very tiniest of uh, intelligibility o over noise ratio. Oh, I'm on uh, PSK31 all the time, and uh, it, it, yeah, I'm surprised at some of the signal levels. I mean, I can barely see anything on the waterfall display, yet here comes the text, and we have a nice conversation. So, uh, yeah, the uh, digital modes tend to be a little more robust than some of the analog modes, but uh, of course, the analog modes, even when it gets noisy, you can probably still pick something out with the digital modes. There's that cliff effect, and it goes away. Um, and, of course, there's always the ultimate digital mode, Morse code. And uh, that, yeah, that stands up under a lot of noise. Somebody in the chat room, in fact, it's, uh, it's college engineer, mentions uh, radars. Uh, he says boat radars. 
uh, living in Nashville, Tennessee, I don't come across too many boat radars. Uh, but uh, uh, that's just another source of, uh, of noise to contend with. Hey, for broadcast engineers who are anywhere near uh, a, a naval base, I know a lot of them have had trouble uh, using um, a satellite receiver to pick up the, the radio-oriented uh, satellites um, uh, where, uh, where there's, there's, there's radar nearby. It interferes with the C-band reception. And you guys have had problems with that and, and been able to filter it out? Oh, sure. Yeah, we have oh, a satellite yeah. fish <laughs> looking right, right across the Hudson at about 9 degrees above the horizon for AMC-8. And uh, the cruise ships come in. We've had a, a fleet week during July 4th weekend, Memorial Day weekend. We have the fleet come in, and they sometimes forget to turn off their radar, wipes out everything, and sets off the car alarms in five different boroughs. But, yeah, we get that all the time. And there are, yeah. there are products you can buy to filter out most of that C-band interference. And at the WRR transmitter site, uh, we we line up with uh, runway 22 left and 22 right over at Newark International, and uh, the uh, not many people know this, but the altimeter on the airplanes uh, it's it's actually more like a sonar, and the they run just above transponder 23 on the C band, and boy, every now and then we get a plane that goes by and uh, it's off frequency just a hair, and boom, we get wiped out for you know several seconds, but it's enough to really cause all kinds of grief. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, the, the, uh, the uh, radar altimeter that they have to, to give them a good accurate reading above the ground. Uh, to, see, see there's all kinds of sources. At, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, now out here what we have is we've got cows crossing the parking lot, and they block the dish, <laughs> and then it just goes out for, for minutes. It doesn't no, no, no. Out the day. Wait, 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 wait. Now, what do we call that? I mean, if, if somebody digs up your fiber, it's called backhoe fade. Now, what do we call that when a cow gets in front of the dish? <laughs> bovine, bovine fade. fade. <laughs> oh, bovine, bovine fade. fade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, the problems that engineers have to contend with will just never cease, will they? And that's why the show will just go on forever. Hey, can you but imagine you know, the four of us do it, doing this show in, a, in 30 years from now? What will that be like? <laughs> but, but, you know, Chris, when the signal's blocked, at least you get free milk. <laughs> or dinner, yeah. <laughs> or dinner, <laughs> steak. What's for dinner? <laughs> hey guys, uh, let's let's have some wrap up comments here. If there's anything else you want to say on on this subject, I I, I think it's going to come up again. Uh, uh, this whole subject of, of of the the noise floor around the world, uh, or at least in in populated areas, just going up and up and up, and and making the services that you want to listen to. Oh yeah, uh, earlier in the show, I, I just remembered it. To ask this now, um, how what's this? What is this increasing noise floor going to do to these so-called uh, white space devices? Devices that are supposed to be able to look out for the presence of presumably a broadcast signal, finding none, they can use that frequency. Well, if the, if there's all this noise going on, um, are they going to be able to use unused frequencies because they'll all be used by noise? Well, it'll oh, just be one less thing the using the frequency to increase the power on those things, and uh, you know it'll just spiral down from there. Mr. Tar, yeah, I have I have Electrosonics uh, digital tuners for the wireless mics that we use. It has a smart front end, and you can scan the uh, the block of frequencies that you, the receiver works within. And on a couple of events we've done outside broadcasts where the noise floor is just enough that it would lock on. It would not lock on. It would tell you, oh, there's there's uh, signal here not usable frequency, move on to the next, and I dial up the frequency manually and go, well, there's nothing here. I definitely can override that noise floor that's tick you know, tickling the uh, meter. So those white space uh, detectors, I think, will get fooled on many occasions in, in urban areas, you know, New York City, Boston, Chicago probably, uh, but other areas they should do just fine. 
Hmm. Okay. All right. Mr. Tar, sorry. Everybody talks at once. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, what? that might be one of the benefits, actually, because Shut uh, up. You know, if the microphones don't turn on, then we're not going to have anything adding to the white noise. <laughs> no, well, that's true. Problem solved, or at least mitigated. Yeah, exactly. So Problem. I think it's a win-win, really. Yeah, it's a win-win, Jesus. All right, guys, we're going to call it, call it a close here. We've been going for an hour. Uh, I want to thank my uh, my three co-hosts for being with us on this uh, episode where, once again, we've talked about a subject that we're only mildly familiar with, but we sure give it our best college try and, you know, uh, hopefully provide uh, entertainment for you and a little bit of information as well. We think about a lot of possibilities and, and what would happen, what ifs and things like that. Thanks for all the comments from the chat room, too. I appreciate that uh, very, very much. Uh, Chris Tarr from Muckwanago, Wisconsin, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, we enjoy it very much. And Chris Tobin the best-dressed engineer in radio from Manhattan. My pleasure as always, and thanks, Burke. i got to make sure I do this. Uh, yes, thank you, Burke. <laughs> and from the Hudson Valley of New York, Tom Ray and WOR. Thanks, Tom. Hey, it's been fun making noise about noise. And, by the way, <laughs> thanks, Burke. <laughs> That's good. All right, Tom, thanks for your pithy comments. Uh, we'll see you uh, next week when uh, on the show. You can always catch the show at uh, uh, thisweekinradiotech.com. You can also go to the Twit site, twit.tv slash twert, where you can pick all manner of ways to uh, subscribe to the automatic uh, downloading of uh, our show. And we sure thank you for your comments and your emails and um, uh, listening to the show. Tell your friends and tell your engineering friends about the show. They might be interested. They might not like it anymore for recommending it but uh, we, we'd appreciate it if you get the word out uh, we will uh, see you next week uh, right here for this week in Radio Tech bye bye